doy, Señor, toda mi necedad, mi no saber, mi no poder, mi no buscar, pongo a tus pies. Dear family, today we come to the third teaching and we asked the Lord to bless us fully understanding that we depend on his grace to understand and to live this fully. So we ask the Blessed Mother to carry us in her sacred heart, her immaculate heart, through all this process. Amen. Amen. So today we actually are going to enter the nitty-gritty of entering into the psychology of each of our hearts with the deeper understanding of desires and disordered desires and where we have to go deep within our hearts to allow the work of the Holy Spirit. And here we continue growing. This whole process is the growth in the second level of humility. So we would like to begin today with words from our Lord, from October 16th of 2019. And these words from our Lord are very focused on humility and bringing us to a deeper level of growth in humility. Our Lord says to us, Your misery is the essence of who you are. When you live in the awareness of your misery... Then your gaze never leaves me, for then you truly have come to know that you are nothing and capable of nothing good and pure. The essence of your misery is rooted in your ego, your I. It is your ego that must die as the grain of wheat in order for my life to take root in you. To come to know and live in your misery is the beginning of your death to self. It is the beginning of new life. A life that begins to be centered in me and my will. The crucifixion of your desires is difficult and painful, but not impossible for the soul who plunges its mercy with trust in my mercy. I'm sorry, for a soul who plunges its misery with trust in my mercy. Allow me to crucify you for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. This force of God, his hidden martyrs of divine love, will set the world on fire with a new Pentecost that will usher in my Eucharistic reign with the immaculate reign of my Most Holy Mother. Do not be afraid, but be obedient to my every word. Go in peace to love one another as I love you. 
And it's important here to understand that the Lord is walking us through this path of the cross. And in the first level of humility, following this path, the Lord began to reveal to us who we are, nothing in misery. And that step is very important for us to enter now the second step, which the Lord tells us is the crucifixion of our desires. And he says it's very difficult, but not impossible. And what makes it not impossible is living in our misery and entering his mercy. So that is a very important step for this next one we are beginning to take. So let us begin by exposing the evil within us. Our desires, rooted in self, are attached to evil in our hearts, the seven capital sins. We try to hide in our hearts sins such as envy and pride. The crucifixion of our desires will expose this darkness. This is the purification by fire, a purification that must break the hardness of our hearts and reveal all the evil in order to create a humble and contrite heart. Think of our hearts, our minds, created to be filled with truth, with life, with love, with the presence of God. And what happened at the fall is like a coop. The presence of God was casted out by our will of rebelliousness and was filled with rebelliousness, self-importance, pride. And now the Lord is saying, will you allow me to come back? But in order for this to happen, I am going to have to move out all that evil. And this is the work. This is the battle now that ensues. It's the battle to allow the Lord to enter and it will be painful because we have become so accustomed to live to this darkness. First John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So in those three things that St. John writes about, it's incorporated the seven capital sins. For the lust of the flesh, we have the sins of gluttony, lust, and sloth. The lust of the eyes is greed. And the pride of life is pride, envy, and anger. So there we are covered the seven capital sins. Now, there's a beautiful, well, it's not really beautiful, but it's very revealing mm -hmm. definition that we have here for pride. Listen carefully. Pride is one of the seven capital sins. Pride is 
undue self-esteem or self-love, which seeks attention and honor and sets oneself in competition with God. It is essentially an act or disposition of the will desiring to be considered better than a person really is. And this happens in all of us. And this definition of pride is going to become this week of the retreat an important reflection for all of us because we need to come to open our eyes to see the pride that exists in us and how it exists. So it's very much when we have not yet come to know our misery, we are living very much rooted in pride. How many times do we desire to be considered better than we really are? Those are the masks. You'll see in the definition of pride, the masks that were being unveiled as we lived chapters two and three of the path. Pride may be expressed in different ways by taking personal credit for gifts or possessions as if they had not been received from God, by glorifying in achievements as if they were not primarily the result of divine goodness and grace, by minimizing one's, de- one's defects or claiming qualities that are not actually possessed by holding oneself superior to others or disdaining them because they lack what the proud person has. And here is where we get into judgments and comparisons that we automatically do within our hearts. Goes on to say, by magnifying the defects of others or dwelling on them. When pride is carried to the extent that a person is unwilling to acknowledge dependence on God and refuses to submit his or her will to God or lawful authority, it is in grave sin. And what we've learned is that we are all, when we are centered in self, we are independent. And yet true humility moves us to be more and more totally dependent on God. And this comes more and more to light if we are attentive in relationships. Because that is when you begin to judge and compare yourself and experience a great bother when someone sees your defects or brings them out or you become really bothered when somebody is preferred over you. And all these things come up in relationships, and we need to be attentive and discover it, and then realize this is where the Lord wants us to work. Because actually what happens is that our desire to be important really is put in our soul by God, but our importance is to be sons and daughters. So it's a misguided good thing if we thought how important it is to be a son or daughter of God and we will be really satisfied with that, we would not 
seek any other importance and we would be utterly humble and hidden and we'll be happy. So the Lord wants to take us to reorient that desire of discovering who, are, who we are and know that we're so loved and that should be sufficient. But unfortunately, it's not sufficient for any of us. And we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of our psychology mm-hmm. and why it's not. So, for example, desiring that my husband and all my family come to know Christ's love personally is also the desire of the heart of God, a good desire, as we have spoken before. But when my desire is attached to my ego and not to God's desires, it produces expectations. Mm -hmm. Without my conscious awareness, I set up in my mind and heart expectations of how my husband and family should act and be. If they don't meet my expectations, I make judgments. Mm -hmm. For example, not holy, not a good father, and on and on. I can even compare them to others. These judgments and comparisons come from me, not God, and produce in my heart what? They can produce anger, resentment, disappointment, frustration, irritation, revenge. And the Lord is very clear in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge. And St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, as we have said, chapter 13, love does not insist on its own way. Especially those words, love does not insist on its own way, is something we all do because our desires continue to have expectations that are rooted in our ego. So, so Lourdes, you're, mm-hmm. you're speaking about a relationship where you see someone you love dearly in your family and you see that they have something in their behavior that is not desirable for, to you. Maybe they are, for example, they are harsh. And you constantly are experiencing this harshness and you want it to go away and it doesn't. And then you wait. So can you explain that a little bit? What happens is, if someone in my family is harsh, that harshness, let's say, wounds me. The problem is that the wound is what the Lord has taught us. I need to suffer with him. I am going to suffer. There's a pain. Yet, my desire to have any of my children or my husband be different and expect him to be different when he can't, maybe, is where I have to be purified. The Lord loves me the way I am, with all my imperfections, with all of this darkness within me. And he suffers as he has taught us who I have become that I am not. So the Lord's desire for me with my husband or my children is to 
accept them each where they're at and suffer their brokenness and the pain of that brokenness with the Lord, with the perfect faith and hope that that interior suffering with Christ is going to bring about a transformation for them. But every time I choose to act in anger, resentment, frustration, and even revenge, I am acting in my will and not in the will of God. So, so, so the Lord is asking us to be, his, to be like him, that he suffers the sin and continues to profoundly love that person. And in that suffering that he yeah. experiences, even to the cross, he is bringing that person to life. Yes, and the Lord knows our limitedness. This is extremely difficult for us in our humanity, in our broken humanity. So the first nail of crucifixion of our desires is really the beginning to the death of this natural human process, psychological process that takes place in each of us. It is a death of a part of us that seems to be the essence of the old man and woman. Here begins a very difficult, painful, and long process to the death of a part of us that is really how we think, perceive, understand, see, and hear. So, you have, you're going to see now, we're going to get deeper into this to understand it better in each of us. So, you're going to see a chart that is going to to come up in front of you, and we're going to talk through this chart. Okay. So first, you see in the chart wounds. And this is an area we've all done in Love Crucified a great deal of work with. And an important, so because you can see, without having done the work of our wounds, we can't go deeper. So what we all learned is we have wounds from childhood, Every child was created by God to feel by their parents secure, loved, affirmed, wanted, heard, seen. And so what happens is, as a child, even in the womb, if that child is not affirmed, is not loved, is not accepted, is not heard, is not seen, that child has unmet desires. And that is the part of our wound that we've spoken about that gets infected. And there comes the lies. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't deserve to be loved, and all those lies that become part of our personality, part of our psychology. Now, what happens when we grow up? Those unmet desires is that infection, that void in our hearts. But we carry those unmet desires into adulthood, and they become our disordered desires. So, for example, as a child... If I was not affirmed, then as an adult, 
I have a desire that becomes disordered to be affirmed. And that disorder of desires brings us into disordered tendencies. So we can become enablers, people pleasers, a biggie for many of us. I will do everything so that everybody likes me, so that I can be affirmed and liked by others. We become doormats. It brings us to many fears within our hearts. The loss of a voice, which means our inability because of fear to express ourselves. The tendency of to not be able to confront or defend because of fear. The loss of true authority, insecurities, comparing judgings. Those are all disordered tendencies we've begun to deal with. And all of this, you will see, is attached to the seven capital sins. But on these teachings, we're going to focus on two, pride and envy. For example, let's take the example of not having been affirmed. We live this. How is that attached to pride? From the definition we just read, pride seeks attention and honor and sets oneself in competition with God. A person that hasn't been affirmed and as an adult, without consciously aware of it, seeks to be affirmed by others, lives totally centered in herself or himself without being realized. Because we were created by God to live for God, to seek God and glorify him as Father was just saying in everything. But this broken psychology in each of us keeps us from being able to do that. And this whole psychological and this darkness is happening in every human heart. And we have to continue, as we learned in the beginning of the path, in prayer to seek the gift of the Holy Spirit of self-knowledge. And we have to do this now in this retreat. Holy Spirit, show me this whole broken psychology within me, my unmet desires. What are they now? What are my disordered desires How do I live this pride? Envy, for example, we're going to get deep in a few minutes into envy, but the envious resents the perceived preferential treatment of his peers. So if deep in my own heart I am seeking to be affirmed and someone in my family or my community or work is being affirmed and I'm not, I can easily fall into envy. We need to be attentive to the moments that that is triggered. Somebody in the community was called and I was not called. They gave somebody in the community this favor and they didn't do it to me. And that starts working in me. Mm -hmm. And that's envy exactly and it happens to all of us but sometimes we don't think no i'm not i'm not really envious 
But it happens to all of us. We have to be attentive. Absolutely. So let's, let me give you a personal example from my own life, how the Lord has been teaching me. A few months ago, I was asking my husband something to give me some self-knowledge, and my husband gave me self-knowledge. He said to me, Lourdes, in this situation, you were seeking to be acclaimed. And it was kind of strong when he said it to me, but I really took it to prayer. And my husband was absolutely right. I have a disordered desire to be acclaimed and recognized. And as the Lord was revealing this to me, I went back to my original wound. What was my wound? I was never acclaimed growing up. I was never publicly praised nor received any awards or recognition. I was also not affirmed nor praised by my parents. Instead, I was often criticized for being quiet, antisocial, pesada, dormilona, that means I slept too much, and I was unseen and forgotten. So what happened? My unmet desires as a child and adolescent became my disordered desires as an adult, rooted in the lies I have come to believe. These disordered desires and lies feed my pride by wanting me to take glory for my good achievements and successes and not give all the glory to God. And it is so beautiful when we can look at ourselves and be totally in the light with ourselves before God. It is so beautiful for me to know that I am giving you a teaching here and there is still a part in my heart that wants to take a teeny little drop thinking oh I did a good job for this <laughs> this, re, this retreat and I but it's so awesome that I am now consciously aware of it so what would so, be the so now what I can do is I'm attentive to it and I fight, I fight against that desire and put it at the foot of the cross and say, my Lord, crucify this desire in me and grant me the desire to know the truth. I am nothing. And the only reason I can give this retreat and this example is because the Lord has given this to me. It's all from him. And what does that lead to? I think it leads to rejoicing Absolutely. that the Lord gets the honor. Absolutely. We, not that we are then neutral. It's that if it comes out well and people turn to the Lord and they're, they are opening to the Lord, that makes us happy. It's like St. John the Baptist. May I decrease because I want him to increase. Absolutely. That is now my happiness to to see the Lord in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Right. And there are attention being placed on him yeah and happiness it's something else that linked to happiness father it's more and more freedom this is what it means to be free in the spirit the more we become authentically who we are and know and live knowing who god is and loving him we are free so what happens these disordered desires can also bring me to what? 
envy people that receive recognition. This envy I have learned within my own self is very subtle. And I, for a long time, kept it very, very well hidden, even covered up with piety in my heart. So, when we are oriented towards honoring self, we replace God. Mm -hmm. Okay? Do you want to read? In Romans... Chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, St. Paul tells us, For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. You see, uh, St. Paul here is telling us about the experience that he's seeing around the pagans. And so for us, we're not replacing God with four-footed animals or reptiles, even though today pets have become a problem to some people, their attention to animals, but also our attention to gadgets, to computers. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. It's not that God abandoned us. It's that God is saying, I respect your freedom. You want to go that way? It breaks my heart but you can do it. So went into impurity to the degrading of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This was very, these words from St. Paul were powerful for me. Why? Because when each of us are living centered in self, in our disordinate desires, whether we are conscious of it or not, our God is really ourselves. God is not the center of our lives. We are the center of our lives. And God wants to bring us to such a level of purification that this evil and darkness that exists in each of us can be penetrated by the light of God and that will only happen as we open our hearts like we did and pray to the Holy Spirit to receive the self-knowledge to see to want to see this darkness within us this pride this envy these disordered desires mm. I think it's very revealing that St. Paul tells us how this happens and it's because we fail to honor God even though we do know Him. I know He's in the Eucharist, but I prefer other things and I am mediocre about it and I don't go and worship Him and honor Him. And because I don't do that, then I fall into all the other stuff. 
Right. And that's honoring the Lord who's there. And the Lord is taking us within ourselves because he's showing me, for example, I go before the Blessed Sacrament every day, like almost all of you. And we honor him and truly love him. Yet the Lord wants to reveal to me, Lordis, what is deep in my heart that is wanting honor for myself. And any time I seek to receive honor for myself that belongs to God, I am dishonoring God. And this is something subconsciously that is happening deep within our hearts. And God is taking us to that place for each of us to see it. And then we begin to honor God and the transformation of the heart takes root. So there is a, an honor that is much more profound, much deeper, where I am honoring God constantly within myself. My whole transformation of the person is taking place. So to see my desire to be acclaimed is to know my misery, my darkened mind, impure heart. The lie that I don't deserve to be acclaimed feeds my desire to be acclaimed. My Lord is not acclaimed. He who is God came into the world and allowed his glory to be stripped from him. He is the Lord's suffering servant of Isaiah 53, despised and rejected by men. He who is God fully present in the Eucharist is not acclaimed. He is forgotten, ignored, rejected, abandoned, betrayed. My misery, Lordis, is that I seek glory for myself when I was created to glorify God. As long as I believe the lies that Satan has planted in my wounded heart, my desires remain disordered. They remain focused on myself, whether I am conscious of this reality or not. The greatest gift of mercy is for us to come to see the reality in ourselves, our misery. For then and only then can we begin to live according to the desires of God and for his glory. So my prayer becomes, my Lord, I give you my misery, my desire to be acclaimed, and I place it in the ocean of your mercy so that it can be crucified by you. Grant me the desire to be criticized, ignored, forgotten, for you are not acclaimed, but criticized, ignored, and forgotten by many. Therefore, I need to crucify my desire to be acclaimed with the blessing of criticism. And here we begin to grow in the second level of humility. In order for our desires to be crucified, we need to first see our inordinate desires and then pray to be given the desire that is most pleasing to God and that which glorifies him the most. The Lord also in 2019 taught us this. The gaze of my mercy 
is a two-edged sword cutting through the darkness of sin in every human heart. The gaze of mercy is the penetrating love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It reveals all that is hidden that must come to the light of your consciousness. This is how a soul is made pure. These words from the Lord are powerful. This is the only way by allowing mercy. And many times we don't think of mercy in this way. We think of mercy as this forgiveness, which is mercy also. But seldom I think that we think of mercy as a sword, a double-edged sword. And his mercy wants to penetrate our hearts bringing all of this darkness to the light so that we can be made pure. Because mercy is love towards someone who is in a miserable situation. And that's God coming to us that are miserable. And if what is good for the person is an operation, for example, if you're a doctor, you would have mercy on a patient, often by having to do an operation that is painful. But that's the necessary procedure to bring him to healing. So to put a Band-Aid would be not good. Exactly. So let us go now a little deeper into envy. Is in Galatians chapter 5, 26 and following. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And Matthew twenty-seven eighteen. It refers to Pilate saying, For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So Pilate knew that they were delivering Jesus out of envy. There is a wonderful definition of envy that we can learn a lot from Catholic Online. And it says this, Envy is the most joyless of the seven deadly sins. And trying to get to the bottom of it is like wrestling with a shadow. The glutton enjoys his banana split, (laughs) at least for a moment. But the envious appears to derive only a gnawing sense of comparison, competition, and injustice from his secret sin. At its best, envy remains a hidden pool of ingratitude and resentment, secretly applauding the downfall and sorrow of others. So envy is a sin that is very secret inside of us. Just think about how many times 
you have really pondered yourself and thought of yourself as an envious person or even seen envy. Very seldom, I think. And we then secretly rejoice when our competition, the person who's drawing more attention than us or is more favored than us, gets into some kind of failure or trouble. Mm -hmm. We say, oh, good. But very secret. We keep it very hidden. And God wants to bring this to the light in each of us. Mm. It says, the envious resents the perceived preferential treatment of his peers. So if we go back, if we have a disordered desire to be recognized and someone else at our work, like Father Jordi was saying, or within our own community, our family is getting recognized, we can easily begin to feel that envy and that resentment. And this creates a lot of problems in families and a lot of problems in communities. You'll see in communities if someone is chosen for a certain task and someone else is not, many times members can feel envious and they don't say it. It's very hidden, but it comes out in a lot of different ways. And this is very, very damaging for communities, for families. For example, questions fester in his mind like, Why am I less popular when I'm just as attractive? Or, why don't people seek me out or ask my advice? Or, why was I laid off or overlooked for promotion when I'm a more productive worker? There can be an envy that someone got promoted and we didn't. Why do I earn less for my work when I am just as creative and intelligent? And on and on. And I notice in all this... You're looking at yourself and saying, I have this value, so why did they choose another? And it reminds me also of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I have been working hard. I have merits. Why is my younger brother getting the attention? And that was also envy, jealousy. Mm -hmm. And he's completely ignoring the blessedness of his relationship with his father, just being oblivious to it because of envy. That's how poisonous it is. Mm -hmm. And that envy in the older brother is rooted in disordered desires and all that we've learned about. So it goes on to say, at its worst, envy strikes others through slander or gossip or actively tries to cause them to fail. Envy brings tension and conflict into families, schools, offices, parishes, and society. Ultimately, envy pits a person against God's will for his life. Envy not only draws comparisons, but is deeply competitive. And here is given the example of Cain and Abel. And you see the envy in Cain for his brother Abel and where that envy at that extreme takes him. The dictionary definition of envy is this, painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. So here you see very clearly how disordered desires in each of us 
are very rooted in the capital sin of envy. And as we discover our disordered desires in our wounded heart, we're going to discover the darkness of envy and pride and how it works in each of us. It goes hand in hand. And this is why it's a profound, the circumcision of the heart, because this process is long and painful. And lastly, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has powerful words on envy also. From 2538 of the Catechism, the Tenth Commandment requires that envy be vanished from the human heart. We fight one another and envy arms us against one another. And also in 2539, envy is a capital sin. It refers to the sadness at the sight of another's good and the immoderate desire to acquire them for oneself. So there you see in the catechism even how it unites an inordinate desire to envy, how closely they are connected. And he goes on, Would you like to see God glorified by you? Then rejoice in your brother's progress, and you will immediately give glory to God. That's beautiful. Because his servant could conquer Envy, by rejoicing in the merits of others, God will be praised. So rejoice in the success of others and make it your own because he's part of the team. If you're in a baseball team and somebody in your team has a home run, hey, you rejoice because your team is So that is a technique we can practice when we see this in our hearts, that we see that envy, that we begin to conquer and pierce that that envy by praying for that other person, by thanking God that that person got promoted, that person got noticed, and saying, thank you, God, that I didn't. You see, that you allowed me to be hidden. Thank you, because that is also your blessing for me. So it's a beautiful turning around, and that's the second level of humility. So we end this reflection by the prayer, which is in our path in the back, the litany of humility. And you're going to see the beautiful part. The first part of the litany of humility is the first level of humility. And the second part of the litany of humility enters the second level of humility, which is, begins chapter 4 of our path. And it goes like this. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. 
from the desire of being approved. Deliver me, Jesus. Now the fears, from the fear of being humiliated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wrong. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. Now we enter the second level of humility. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. And this would be a beautiful prayer that we pray every day of this month's retreat. And so for our reflection work for this week, this is what we need to do. First, answer these questions in reflection. What are my deepest desires that were not met as a child nor adolescent? How do I seek these desires to be met now as an adult? Return to the definition of pride and examine your heart's desires accordingly. As you see your inordinate desires, pray to also see any concealed envy and bring it to repentance. Thank you. Te doy, Señor, toda mi necedad, mi no saber, mi no poder, mi no buscar. Pongo a tus pies mi absurda obstinación de desconfiar de tu bondad y de tu amor. Dame hoy las gracias que tanto he rechazado por saberme indigno, por no haberte amado. Sé que el amor cubre multitud de pecados y como pecador vengo ante ti, Señor, para ser perdonado, perdonado. Te doy, Señor, 
mi rabia y mi dolor, mi no entender, mi padecer, mi frustración, pongo a tus pies mi orgullo y vanidad, entra en mi pobre corazón, ven a sanar tantas heridas que esconde mi pasado, tantos sufrimientos que no he procesado, soldado herido que regresa cansado, te doy mi voluntad, me dejo conquistar, me dejo ser amado, amado. Redimido, redimido. 